Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. We are in Exhale Bible Discovery, and we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And last week, we discussed some very tough topics in light of the times that we're in today. And today, our lesson from chapter 7, well, it gets to the meat of marriage, the topic of being single, and regarding your spiritual calling. And Paul continues to share some profound teachings that provide our framework for Christian living. And there are six questions that are posed to Paul from the church in Corinth that he addresses for us in this chapter. So I've broken this lesson down into three parts. First is the principles about marriage, and that's verses 7, 1 through 16. The second part is called principles about godly living, and that's verses 17 through 24. And then our third division is principles for remaining single, and that is verses 25 through 40. Well, as we know, Paul gets to the meat of topics. He doesn't waste any breath, and he answers clearly and succinctly for us. So get out your Bibles, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's look at the first two verses. And he starts out with, Now for the matters you wrote about. And so what's happening here is Paul is no longer in Corinth personally, and the church in Corinth is giving him lots of questions. And you can imagine, this is a brand new concept of Christianity back in those days. They are just trying to get their church organized. So imagine if we had a Paul, if we didn't have our New Testament, We would need someone to go to and really ask the tough questions. And with Paul, that was his role. He was taking these questions and trying to answer them to the best he could. And so they're they're talking about in this first question, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have relations with his wife and each woman with her husband. So what he's saying here is he's telling them, okay, let's look at this this important question. And and it is important for us to know that the, the Corinthians who were posing the questions about sexual immorality was because in their town and in their area, it was rampant. It was really bad. And so they were wanting to get some specific things addressed. And Paul is not telling us here that marriage is a bad thing and that we should all remain celibate because that would go against God's own words from Genesis 2.18, that it is not good for man to be alone. But what he is saying is if you're not willing to remain celibate, then sex within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman is the right choice. And in verse 2, 
he points out the immorality of these times regarding sex and that these behaviors were simply not okay. Well, then in verses three through five, Paul goes into specifically about how a husband and wife are to fulfill their duties to one another. He says, don't deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And sadly, these particular verses have been misused over time. Paul's not saying that one lords over one another in a mutual Christian marriage. What he is saying is a beautiful partnership between a man and a woman in a healthy marriage with God in the center is what is desired. And once we are married, we belong to one another as gifts. And therefore, we need to show our marriage partner respect, affection, and love. And when we withhold ourselves as a way to punish, this is not a design that God desires in Christian marriage. When we open the door to Satan through sin, he's going to do everything he can to work his way into our marriages. Pornography and adultery are two common pathways that the door is open for Satan to slither into a home and completely destroy a marriage and a family. And so we've got to guard our marriages through intense prayer, open communication, and a willingness to put others first. In verses 6 through 7, he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, because I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. And what he's saying here is basically that his life is less complicated because he has not married or he's not married at the time. And with the path that God placed him on, he truly did not need to have the added responsibility of a marriage. God chose Paul to travel, evangelize, teach, and disciple. And he made his choice when he answered this call from God. And he is reminding each of us that we too have a calling from God and we have gifts that are specifically bestowed upon each of us. And so we are responsible to hone these gifts and to utilize them to the best of our abilities. And in verses 8 and 9, now he's addressing unmarried and widows. And it was the question, is it good for them to stay unmarried? And Paul turns the question of those not married and widows very clearly. And he's saying, okay, the times we're in, it's very tumultuous. Christians were being persecuted big time. It was a difficult time. So there is some validity to the fact that Paul is a member of the Sanhedrin, that he would have been married at some point in his life. Because in those days, any member of the Sanhedrin required were required to be married. Therefore, Paul understood the topic of marriage intimately, but he chose to remain single in order to put everything into the mission for God that he was on now. So we don't know if Paul's wife died or maybe she left him when he became converted. We just don't know. The scriptures don't tell us that. But what we do know and can 
pretty much know for sure is that he was married, and so he know he knew what he was talking about. So Paul is realistic, and he does not hold this expectation for others to remain single. But he clearly teaches that if this isn't the best situation for someone, then they need to make the decision that works for them. If you cannot refrain from sex outside of marriage, then certainly what he's saying is marriage is the best option. And then as we get into verses 10 through 12, he's talking to the married and he says, I give this command, but he specifies not I, but the Lord. And he says, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So here he is talking about these two basic principles of marriage as the Lord commands. He desires Christians to remain married to one another rather than separating. And to address the topic of divorce, Paul lays out what the Word of God teaches about divorce. And in Matthew 19.9, we know that sexual immorality is one of the reasons God allows for divorce. The issue of a believer who is married to a non-believer, well, Paul is saying that's simply not a reason to divorce. Preferably, we are to be equally yoked in marriage. That's God's design. But there are many instances where this situation could be changed with having one partner who is a believer. If two unbelievers marry and one accepts Christ while the other does not, it does not give the believer the right to to divorce. Perhaps the believing Christian will pull the other spouse into the faith. And then one believer marries a non-believer. Again, he's saying it doesn't give the believer the right to divorce because you knew what you were doing when you went into that marriage. Well, verses 13 through 14 really talk about saying, if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he's willing to live with her, and he's saying the same thing for both females and males. And so he's taking it a step further in these verses when he talks about, but otherwise, your children will be unclean if they're not in a Christian marriage or their their parents are not. And so what he's meaning in this verse is not to take away that you just are holy because you are in the right household with Christians. That's not what he's saying. Paul is, however, saying that our chances of having a spouse go to Christ or children be raised in the faith to come to know Christ, have a much better chance with at least one believing spouse. So it's important. It's so important that all households have at least one believer. Verses 15 and 16, he says now, but if an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So Paul is very specific regarding a non-believer who walks out on a Christian in marriage. He says, let them go. Don't waste your time because having peace 
in your life is more important. So it isn't our job to save anyone because that's God's job alone. And so your truth bomb for this section is, God desires marriage to be godly covenants between two believers. And so your call to action, what is your role as a believer in your covenant marriage? And how are you upholding your role? The next division is the principles about godly living. Verse 17 says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God has called them. So Paul is challenging all of us to accept where we are right now in this life. No matter what your status is, if you're married, widowed, divorced, or single, we all have a job to do in God's kingdom. And then in verses 18 through 20, he goes into the topic of circumcision, because in those days, circumcision was a big deal. And so the Corinthians were concerned with, okay, so this Greek man who's never been circumcised now accepts Christ. Should he also be circumcised at this age? And so what was happening were there were many legalistic arguments surrounding these new Christians, and this was one of the topics. And so Paul, he's saying that we've got to get rid of the legalism. He kept showing over and over that when Christ came, the legalism that ruled in those times needed to be put to rest. because. Christ came. He is the one who we put all of our stock in. And we don't, we no longer have to go and get our fatted calves or our lambs and take them to the temple. We don't have to be worried about all the food issues. And the circumcision was another legalistic thing that Paul was saying, put it to rest. We we don't need to be worried about it. He says, we are to be obedient to not make excuses, and to simply follow Jesus and his commands. In verses 21 and 22, he talks about when you were a slave, you were called. Don't let it trouble you, although if you can, gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. So no matter, again, what your status in life is, the Lord can and use us all. And none of us have a higher standing than another when it comes to our service for the Lord. And then he says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So as long as the life you were living prior to your calling by God, as long as it was not something evil or illicit or illegal, God calls us to be his disciples in whatever role we play. If you drive a trash truck, guess what? You can be living for the Lord. And the point is, we all have opportunities to serve him in whatever job or role we serve. And there are opportunities to show Christ in any position we're in. And it's up to each of us to seek out ways to show Christ in our lives each and every day. And so your truth bomb for this section is 
Believers are called to serve God in our lives. And then your call to action, how is your life evident of your service to Christ? Okay, we're moving into the final division, principles for remaining single. So now it was like this last group of people that they had questions about. And he's talking about virgins, and this is meaning both male and female. And he says, I have no command from the Lord, which means he had not received or seen anything that Jesus had written on this. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And because of the present crisis, and that's meaning the persecution of the church, he says, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, they have not sinned. Those who marry will face troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. So Paul, he's referring to these unmarried as virgins. And that is how Christians were to remain and are to remain until marriage. And again, he's referring to remaining single because he wants to keep them from the struggles of the intense persecution of the Christians that they were experiencing at that time. And he was so concerned because he knew how hard it was out there. And he knows that when we have families, it's even more difficult. Imagine if you know your children or your spouse is going to be hurt because of their belief. And so that's what he was meaning at this point. Then in verses 29 through 31, he says, time is short. From now on, those who have wives live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy, those who are something to keep, those who use the things of this world, for this world in its present form is passing away. And he's reminding us then and now that none of us know the hour or day when Christ is going to return. And he constantly tells us that we have been given very precious limited time, and it should not be wasted. Matthew 24, 36 tells us about this short time, and Matthew 24, 44 tells us to be ready for his coming. And I found it interesting that the Greek word for short is sustello. And this meant to be contracted or rolled up as the sails of a ship that are ready to be deployed when needed. So being prepared is good practice for whatever is coming our way. And therefore, as believers, we must stay prayed up and read up to be ready in this world. Verses 32 through 35, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. And so he says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs and her, their aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So again, Paul, who is unmarried, this allowed him more freedom to carry the gospel through the region. And it was a huge job that he knew he needed full focus. But he's saying, if one is married, it makes sense that you would have great concern for your spouse and your family. And that's okay. 
Paul confirms that the remain that remaining in your current state of marriage or not does not keep you from doing the Lord's work. However, he's acknowledging that a family will restrict the work that can be done for the Lord. In verses 36 through 38, he says, If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. So once again, Paul is driving home the point to marry if sexual temptation is too much. A virgin in these verses is referring to both males and females. And a covenant marriage between a man and a woman is perfectly natural and is allowed by the Lord. Then the last two verses, verses 39 through 40. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But must she? he must belong to the Lord. And in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So he's telling a person whose spouse has died that they are free to remarry. But he makes the point that it should be to a fellow believer. And again, he expresses that there's no harm in remaining unmarried as it does offer more opportunity to serve God. So your truth bomb for this last section, Christ provides us with his template for marriage. In your call to action, each person must assess the marriage situation that's best for you. Whatever your choice may be and whatever standing you have in this life, live it according to the Lord's will. So in summary, it's obvious that Paul was bombarded with all sorts of questions. And because Corinth was so steeped in sexual immorality, it just makes sense they would seek Paul to give them wisdom regarding these various topics. We as a society would do well to dig into this chapter as we live out our marriages, we offer guidance for our own children and grandchildren, and that we model examples to the next generation. Marriage is a serious business with God, and as his believers, we must hold tightly to the rules set forth by us in the Bible. And just because the world right now does not hold marriage to have much merit, as believers, we must not allow the world to redefine what God has clearly defined. He has the final word, and his laws state very clearly and plainly what marriage should be. Hold tight, as this world is in turmoil. If you look closely, at all of the main issues that are causing division and issues right now, each one can be seen as being out of step with the Word of God. So you need to dig deeper into His Word, stay closer to Him in prayer, and lean upon a body of believers who will continue to encourage and hold you up. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 